the first century in Peter's day, especially among the Romans. The Roman cattle wrote, If you catch your wife in adultery, you can kill her with impunity. She, however, cannot dare to lay a finger on you if you commit adultery. Now, someone might say, that was then, that was in Peter's day. But we know better now. We understand more. Women have been liberated. We honor women properly now. Is that so? According to Statistics Canada, 44% of women who have ever been in an intimate partner relationship, about 6.2 million women in Canada, they have reported experienced some kind of violence, intimate partner violence in their lifetime. And 30% of 15 to 24-year-old young women have experienced domestic violence in the past year. Now, dishonoring women was not just a problem in first century Roman culture. And it's not just men who abuse their wives, but it's also weak, impotent men who live by the feminist lies against the God-designed differences of men and women. Men who do not value a woman for who she is, who also, who do not take care of special care, take special care of the woman. These men also degrade women. And Peter provides here in a single verse how men are to view their wives and how men are to treat their wives. Now let's read 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. And it says, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, who should study this verse? Who should listen to a sermon on this verse? Husbands, this verse is directed straight at you. Now, men, there is elder training happening here at Evergreen, and that is a good and a necessary process in discerning future elders. And as an elder, you will need to be an example of an excellent husband. So this sermon and this verse is particularly important for you. For all men, the ways of understanding and honoring your wife described in this morning, it may seem idealistic, it may seem impossible for you to implement. But when we come to the biblical idea for the roles of husbands and wives, we might be tempted either to disagree and to argue against the ideal, or we might agree with the ideal but be discouraged because we know that we are so far off from the ideal and we think we can never get there. But the right way forward is not to be discouraged and it's not to argue against the ideal in Scripture, but it's to forget what is behind and keep on pressing towards the goal, understanding both the ideal and agreeing with it and understanding where you are at in, in going towards that ideal. But particularly for elders, you and your families need to be examples in the church of the ideal and uphold the ideal and also be examples of confidently pressing towards that ideal in your marriage. Now, wives, this verse is also relevant for you so that you can encourage your husband in the ways that he should go, not try to nag him into it. Young men, boys, single men, almost every one of you wants to become married at some point. And this verse is important for you because you need to understand the role that you're preparing for. 
the young women are going to be watching you to see if you are understanding and honoring the women in your life, especially your mothers and your, your mother and your sisters. They're watching you, and they're not going to be looking at the size of your biceps or the bench press. They're going to be looking at the heart of, the, of your behavior towards women. Now, young woman, you are looking for a young man who will spend time to understand you, who will spend time to honor you and value you above all others. And this sermon is for you as well. So pay attention. Now, let me say something. If you're the man that you are looking at is a jerk, your marriage will not work. So let me say that again, young women. A man who is a jerk, your marriage will not work with him. Now, older men and women, you set an example in the church, and this sermon is important for you as well. So now the verse we read may have triggered you. The woman, weaker? No, come on. But let's remind ourselves. We do not follow every trend in culture. We are not rationalists either that decide how to structure our families and roles and responsibilities based on our own logic and analysis or pragmatism, what seems to work. And we are also not traditionalists. We don't choose what to do just because our families did that and because that's what our grandparents did. If I were to take any of these uh, approaches, either secularism or traditionalism or um, pragmatism, listening to this sermon would be a waste of your time. But we come to hear what God says on this topic about husbands and wives. What does the Bible say? That's how we order our lives. So now, the context of this command, it says, likewise, husbands. This is in the context of Peter giving instructions for how Christians, these new Christians uh, in Asia, should live. And now he comes to the husband. These are men who have recently been involved in worshiping false gods, in pursuing satisfaction according to this world, and now they are asking, now that we are Christians... How should we live as husbands? Now, husbands, none of these instructions are going to work for you unless you are in a right relationship with God through Christ. This is the only foundation upon which you may build a right relationship with your wife. So husbands, if you do not have a right relationship with Christ, or if you are not sure, make it your highest priority to determine this. Are you submitting to his command to repent of your sins and trust in him for salvation? Are you living your life according to his word? Or are you keeping back parts of your life for yourself instead of submitting to God's word? Now, I have three main points in this sermon. One, understanding your wife. Two, honoring your wife. And three, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So point one, understanding your wife. The text says, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman. So to start with the phrase, live, live with your wives, that's in the present tense. And that means it's not something that you've achieved, it's something that you are continually seeking to do. 
you are continually seeking to live with your wife in an understanding way. Now, God said in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, he said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And then in 2, verse 24, he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Notice that when a man leaves his father and mother, he's joined to his wife. He's sticking together with her, and you are, men, you are incomplete without your wife. Now, you, you live as a married man, not as an individual that just happens to be married. So husbands, I have a, the question is, is being with your wife a primary place of your activity and your life? Or are you off on your own work and play and hobbies and leaving her to her own work and her own hobbies and her own responsibilities and never the two shall meet unless it's convenient or unless it's necessary? So husbands, live with your wives. Live with them. Now, the husbands, uh, the text says, you husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way. So now, the next question is, what is the understanding that the husband must have? Now, if you're a sports fan, let's say a hockey fan, you, you can explain the rules of hockey to your wife, but do you know the instructions and the purposes of marriage? Do you know the instructions and purposes from God's word for, for life in this world? Do you regularly teach your wife and your children from God's word. Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So husbands, you have a non-negotiable role of bringing your wife and your families to the word and teaching her from the word. Part of the knowledge that you must have as a husband is a continually growing knowledge in the Word that you might apply it to your family. Now back to the example of the hockey team. You also know that the, the roles of the goalie and the roles of the defenders and the forwards are different, but they complement each other. And you know that a team full of defenders would not make a very good team. But do you know that the, what the roles are that God has designed for men and women? Do you know how a Christian husband and a Christian wife complement each other? It isn't easy because the world has its own ideas of what makes for a good family and what the roles of men and women are. The world turns up its nose at the biblical uh, ideal, the biblical understanding of the family. The world has certain priorities for what a successful family owns, how many children a successful family has, what kind of luxuries it can afford. But we don't get our ideas of the ideal for families from the world. We get it from God's word. What does the Bible say for the role of the husband? The Bible says, understand your wives and honor them. Husbands, love your wives and give yourselves up for them. Ephesians 5. Husbands, if you are not providing for your family, you are worse than an unbeliever. 1 Timothy 5. Husbands, manage your households well. 1 Timothy 3, verse 4. Husbands, be a one-woman man, one wife, not wife plus porn. Husbands, 
Be diligent to answer the questions your wives have from the meeting of the church. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 35, and many other roles the Bible has laid out for you as a husband. And now the role of the wife. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine in the midst of your house. Psalm 128. The wife submits to her husband and respects him. Ephesians 5. She bears children and manages her household. 1 Timothy 5. She bears children and raises children as part of her redemptive privilege. 1 Timothy 2, verse 14 and 15. Young women should be trained to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their husbands. Titus chapter 2. So, husbands, are you sending your wife off to work just because you want certain luxuries that this world says that you should have? Now let's consider another example. At work, you have a lot to accomplish. You know the status of the department or the area of the company that you are in. You work to meet the goals that your company has set for you. You dedicate time and effort towards this. You work with your boss and your colleagues to accomplish the goals that your company has set for you. You have lunch with your colleagues. You spend time with your colleagues outside of your regular working hours to build camaraderie, and it helps you work better together. You dedicate effort towards your work and the goals to be accomplished, but are you dedicating time and effort to your wife and your marriage? To set goals for your marriage and your family? To date your wife? To build a family culture? You know your colleagues, what makes them tick, what they enjoy, what motivates them, their strengths and their weaknesses. You even know what needs to be improved to make your team successful. But do you know your wife like this? Spend time to get to know her, her fears, her joys, her concerns. Make growing in the understanding of your wife a primary joy and interest for you. Spend quality time with your wife. And you cannot have quality time unless you have quantity time. You must be spending significant time with your wife. How do you know if you are spending significant and enough time with your wife? How do you know that? Ask her. Ask her what she thinks. And wife, when your husband asks you, don't just say, yes, honey, of course you're spending enough time with me. Be honest. Let him know what you actually think. Let him know what you are actually feeling in your marriage. Tell him the truth. Now, if you have one time, husbands, back to you husbands, if you have time once or twice a week or once or twice a month to watch a two-hour or a three-hour sports game or to go hunting or to eat lunch with your colleagues, you have no excuse not to spend at least as much time, dedicated time, with your wife. Dedicate time to pray for your wife. Dedicate time to pray with your wife. She is unique. She is special. Do you know the strengths and the weaknesses of your wife? Are you working to address the weaknesses in a loving and gentle way? Do you know her special skills and abilities? Are you helping her to make a good use of these skills? 
Do you know what is bothering her? Do you know where she needs your help? Now, this is not just a relationship between you and your wife. This is Christ's bride that you are dealing with. We as Christians are the bride of Christ, and you are working with Christ's bride. So you had better be careful how you treat this woman who belongs to Christ, who is made in the image of God. Since this is a bride of Christ, take great care to understand her, to love her and to honor her above any earthly person or thing. So to summarize this first main point, a husband must continually be developing a knowledge and understanding of the Word of God. He must continually be developing an understanding of the roles of the husband and the wife. And third, he must be understanding the special and the beautiful and the wonderful wife, the unique wife that he has been given by God. So husbands, make this a primary activity of your life. Now it says, understand your wife as the weaker one, the woman. So let's look at our passage again. It says again here, it says, You husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman. The Bible says that the wife is weaker. Now our culture doesn't like to hear this, but we go with what the Bible says. And now the question here is, in what ways is the woman weaker than the man? Is the wife weaker than the husband? Now, I have heard people say so many different things. She's weaker emotionally. She's weaker intellectually. She's weaker um, in so many different ways. But when I, when I study it, I can come up with a couple of ways that the wife is weaker. And not in all these other ways. So in general, women are weaker physically than men. And we see that played out in real time here in our culture. Take Will Thomas. He wasn't much of a male athlete, but when he decided to call himself a woman, he won an NCAA swimming championship against female competitors and was beating all the women in the competitions until some other man who was slightly stronger played the same stunt and was able to beat Will Thomas. Women are, in fact, physically weaker than men. So don't make your wife carry the loads that you are meant to carry. If she is tired, be gentle and understanding. When she is having difficulty, don't say, get up, buttercup, and while you're at it, make sure you have dinner ready at 5.30. But women are also weaker, positionally. Imagine with me a sergeant in the army. He leads a team of four soldiers, but this sergeant is on a power trip. He won't listen to the corporal or to the privates. He is abusing his position of authority. He is not serving them. And this man is a fool of a leader. The wife is weaker positionally. God has ordained men to lead in the family and women to submit to their husbands. But you must use your authority to serve your wife, to serve your family. Don't misuse your strength or your authority to get your own way. But also, don't expect your wife to wear the pants in the family. Whether you like it or not, men, you are the leaders in your family. A bad leader abdicates his leadership and forces his wife to make the decisions by his absence. 
Now we come to the second main point in the, in the sermon. You show her honor. You show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. You are heirs together. Men and women have both inherited the, the grace of physical life. Every man and every woman is made in the image of God and has inherited so many physical blessings in this world. But now as Christians, you have both inherited spiritual life. How much greater is the meaning of fellow heirs when it includes what Peter says in 1 verse 4, the eternal, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance kept in heaven for you as a joint heir with Christ, as Paul says in Romans 8, 17. Now I have three subpoints for showing honor, and they are uh, who, what, and how. So who is honored? Now the answer is obvious, but I'm going to make a point of it because as fallen humans, we are tempted to pride, to honoring ourselves. And husbands, you know this. Have you ever tried to make yourself look good or to sort of hide your faults? But you are to show her honor. And here's a warning. If your leadership ever becomes about yourself, you are exercising a sinful, a self-centered, and a sorry excuse of leadership. I'm going to state it again. If your leadership in the home is focused on yourself, you are exercising sinful, self-centered, and a sorry excuse of leadership. Follow the example of Jesus, who made himself a servant of all, who gave himself up for his bride. You are put in your role as a husband to honor your wife, to serve her. And now you are to show her what? Children, let's see if you've been listening. What are what does Peter say that the husbands are to show their wives? Any children here who want to say it? What are husbands supposed to show their wives? Yes. Honor. Yes, that's right. Husbands, you are to honor your wives. Now, what does honor mean? Honor means to esteem someone because of their rank or their office. Your wife holds a high office as a fellow heir of the grace of life. And she is to be honored. If you do not honor your wife who is made in the image of God, you dishonor God. Take this to heart. If you do not honor your wife, you are dishonoring God. Now it says, show her honor. This is a what? Show her honor. Honor and love go hand in hand. John Galvin said that you cannot love except that you honor. And a love that honors is a love that acts. For God so loved the world that he gave. God loved and he acted. He gave. So you will show, you will do something you will do and you will say and you will live in a way that shows her honor. So we've already highlighted understanding her. And understanding your wife is one way in which you honor her. Now you also show her honor through chivalry. 
Chivalry is the outworking of the command to put her first, to consider her better than yourself, and to provide for her. So you open the door for her. You stand or you walk between her and a real or perceived danger, between uh, her and the cars as you walk down the sidewalk, between her and a steep drop-off beside the trail, between her and a threatening dog. This seems insignificant, but they are part of a character that will put her first and all other women and children, for instance, when you are on a ship that is sinking. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And he died that she might live. And husbands, we are called to the same kind of giving ourselves up for our wives. We are bound to do this. Now we also honor her by the way we speak of her to others. You will not throw her under the bus or speak ill of her to others. You will honor her in all of your conversations. You will honor her, as we've already talked about, in the, in the time that you spend with her. Now you are also bound to show her honor in your leadership. You lead her by courageously standing for the truth. The Bible says that in the garden, the man was not deceived, but the woman was. Was Adam unsuspecting as his wife led him into sin? No, the man was not deceived, but the woman was. Adam was more responsible because she was deceived, but he knew what was happening and what his wife was doing. But he did not stop her. He did not stop to help her. Instead, he went along with it. He knew what he was doing. He was not a courageous leader, and he did not stand for the truth. I want to bind your conscience by Scripture to courageous leadership, in your home, courageous leadership of your wife to do what is right, even if your wife disagrees with you and she does not realize the real danger. Now you provide spiritual leadership in family worship around the table. You encourage her in her private devotions. You ask, how are your devotions going, honey? What have you been learning? Do you have any questions? Now you also lead her by an your own example of self-discipline and the way that you govern yourself. You lead by taking responsibility also for a vision of faithfulness over multiple generations in your family, your children and your children's children and their children after them. And I'm going to attempt to bind your conscience this morning on this point. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 4, we're going to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. And here the um, verse, we're going to read verses 9 through 14. Only give yourself and keep your soul diligent, give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen. And they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Assemble the people to me, 
that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain and the mountain burned with fire to the very heart of the heavens. Darkness, cloud, and thick gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you from the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but you saw no form, only a voice. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. The Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments, that you might perform them in the land where you are going over to possess it. So what were the Israelites to teach their children? They were to teach them the things that their eyes had seen. They were to teach them the law of God that was written on tablets of stone, that God wrote with his finger on tablets of stone. But what about you? What have you to share your family? So, surely nothing so amazing as coming out of Egypt and walking through the Red Sea with towers of water on both sides. Surely you don't have anything so amazing as that to share with your family. Yes, you do, I tell you, and much greater things have you seen to tell your children. The Israelites were in bondage in Egypt, but when they were saved when Moses led them out of physical slavery. And he did it with many miracles, but you were in slavery to sin, leading to death and to hell. And Jesus came to you and miraculously led you out of sin and hell in your dead state and gave you eternal life. And as we read, the Israelites had the prophet Moses to bring them into the old covenant with this ministry carved on letters of stone. But Moses said another prophet would arise and that you must listen to him. And Jesus is the greater than Moses. Jesus has brought you into the ministry of the Spirit and the new covenant written on tablets of human flesh, on your heart, as Lucas was reading this morning. They were commanded to teach their children and their children's children these things. But the Holy Spirit-inspired letter to the Ephesians commands you to bring your children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. This is not a responsibility that you dump on your wife. You work together in it and you delegate parts of it, but you are responsible for training up your children. The buck stops with you. Husbands, don't drop the ball on training up your children. Don't drop the ball on a multi-generational vision for your family. Husbands, you, are, you lead by being assertive. You provide authoritative male leadership in the family. Not domineering, but tender and loving and caring, but assertive nonetheless. Now you honor her through mutual accountability. She is not just accountable to you, but you, husbands, are accountable to her. She knows and recognizes and understands things that you don't. Or do you think that you do not need your wife's wisdom and her guidance? Are you too proud to honor your wife in this way? No, my brothers. God gave your wife as a gracious gift. 
and you should want to hear her correction. I love the sound of children in church. That's a wonderful sound. We love that at Rosedale as well, so no problems at all. Um, Now, so my brothers, God has given you your wife as a gift, and you should want to hear her correction. Proverbs 12 verse 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man, what does a wise man do when his wife comes to provide some correction or some suggestions? A wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 12 verse 1 says, Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Don't be a husband who is stupid who hates correction from his wife. Now, you also honor your wife by being patient with her, by bearing with her weaknesses. From Ephesians chapter 5, that we've already mentioned, you know that you need to love your wife like Christ loves the church, right? You need to love your wife like Christ loves the church. And Christ loves and understands the church even when the church sins against her. Even though she sins often against Christ, your wife may be difficult to understand, but you need to diligently seek to understand your wife. You might think that your wife is often not lovable. Brothers, the church is often not lovable. But does Christ just decide not to love the church, not to honor the church? Does he start complaining to the Heavenly Father and saying, this bride of mine, she is just so, just keeps messing up, so I'm not going to love her. No, Christ is not like that. And husbands, neither can you be like that. You must love and understand your wife no matter what her weaknesses, no matter the difficulties, no matter the sins that she is in. Don't be embittered against your wife, Colossians 3.19, even when she sins against you. Now, our third main point is so that your prayers will not be hindered. First of all, this means that a Christian prays. Young men, do you spend time in prayer? Children, do you spend time in prayer? You need to work on this. Be self-controlled. Husbands, do you spend time in prayer? You must spend time in prayer. Now, what is prayer? In the context of a relationship with a holy and awesome God, with a perfect God, prayer often includes praising Him for who He is. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It is acknowledging and praising him for his sovereign power over all of history. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is asking him to provide what you need in your family. Give us this day our daily bread. It is coming in repentance. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Prayer is confessing our own weaknesses and asking for assistance and protection from falling into sin. 
and forgive us uh, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It is requesting him to work in the hearts of the governing authorities so that we might worship in peace, to live quiet and godly lives, 1 Timothy 2.2. Prayer as a Christian and as a husband, prayer must be a consistent part of your life. Second of all, this means that there is such a thing as unhindered prayer. As Christians, we have direct access to the throne of grace, not through some Roman Catholic saints who will have a better chance of getting God's ear than we ourselves can. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive favorable answers to every request for health and wealth and happiness and a good education for our children and good government? No, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Unhindered prayer is prayer that comes before God often, freely, confidently that we might receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need. So I ask you, where is your prayer life at? How often do you pray? I have been convicted and encouraged and encouraged as I've studied for this sermon. Convicted that I need to be praying more and encouraged that we have a patient Heavenly Father. We do have direct access to the throne of grace. Now, hindered prayer. Hindered means to cut into, to impede, to detain. Now, there are a number of other reasons outside of this verse why your prayers may be hindered. And a couple of them are if you're struggling to pray, it might be because you are not honestly making the effort. If you are preoccupied with your work or distracted with your children when you are trying to pray, you're going to find it very difficult to pray outside of those things that you're preoccupied with. You're probably going to find it difficult to pray at all. And also, if you are grieving the Spirit, if you are sinning without repenting, that is another reason why your prayers are going to be hindered. But in our text, not honoring your wife is also a cause of, un of hindered prayer. Peter also says in 3 verse 12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is what? Against those who do evil. If you are not honoring your wife, you are dishonoring her. And if you are dishonoring your wife, you are doing evil. You are doing evil and God's ears will not be open to your prayer. Are your prayers hindered because you are not honoring your wife? Ask your wife, am I honoring you? Am I honoring you as I should? And wives, again, speak the truth. If there are ways that your husband 
is not honoring you, that you feel he's not honoring you, be honest and, and let him know. And husbands, take that correction. Pay attention to it seriously. Now, young men and boys, you must, you must be honoring the women in your life, especially those in your own home, your mothers, your sisters. Again, the girls at church are going to be watching you. When a young lady sees what you are doing, she will know whether you are going to be honoring to her or whether you're going to be dishonoring her. Now, it is almost a vain thing, husbands, to come to your heavenly Father if you are dishonoring your wife, to seek fellowship with God if you are not in proper fellowship with your wife. Your relationship with God is not disconnected from your relationship with your wife. If you break one, the other will be broken as well. Now think of a great king. He loves his daughter, a beautiful princess. Now the king gives you his greatest gift. He gives you his daughter's hand, the princess's hand in marriage. And you start out madly in love with the princess. You honor her. You seek to understand her. And you honor her in every way that you know how. You're not perfect, but you are doing this. And the two of you often visit the king. And the three of you have sweet fellowship together. But after several months, or maybe after several years, you take your marriage for granted. And you start, you, you know that she is married, you're no longer, but you're no longer intentionally understanding her. You don't ask your wife, how is our marriage going? It seems to be going pretty well, but in fact, it is broken. Some of those ways you're sort of vaguely, you vaguely know it's broken, but you're not intentionally trying to correct it. Other ways you're oblivious to how it's broken. What will happen now when you go to visit the king? Is he, are you going to have sweet fellowship with the king when you're treating his daughter, the princess, in this way? Of course not. If you are treating the princess with contempt, the king is not going to invite you into sweet fellowship with him. Instead, the only attention you are going to get is you are going to get discipline. You are going to not have any fellowship. You may even get disinheritance from that king. It will not be going well for you. You are going to need to ask the king and you're going to need to ask your wife for forgiveness. And it will be granted and you will come back into proper fellowship with your wife. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we know that your word is true. We know, Father, that we are all sinners. Father, we confess as husbands that we have sinned against you through dishonoring our wives in ways, through not seeking to understand them. Father, we pray that you would forgive us. Father, we pray that we would come back to our wives to, to speak to our wives and to ask them, how are we dishonoring them? We pray that we would intentionally seek to honor our wives.
to intentionally understand them. And Father, we are confident in your love and your mercy that you will forgive us of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen.